I think a lot of it does come down to brand mentions and, and being included in certain places and certain publications, you know, in some ways, similar to kind of how link building is where, you know, if you are mentioned in these authoritative sources, like it adds a layer of validity to your brand and, and what it's associated with. A lot of it ties back to what we would already consider best practices. It's definitely a question that I think SEOs need to be asking themselves, especially as we have all of these concerns and fears with SGE and all these other things that might be going on rather than just being like worried that it's going to take away your traffic. Like think about what you can do to continue to position your brand best in whatever engine of search that someone's using. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Jeremy Galante. Jeremy is the SEO lead at ClickUp, and at least from my view, things have exploded in terms of organic search traffic since he took over the reins back in 2020. In our episode today, Jeremy and I talk about the amazing work that he and his team are doing at ClickUp, content creation at scale, templates, and the year ahead in organic search. This week's episode of the Optimize podcast is brought to you by Positional. My name's Nate, and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. We've been working on Positional for about 10 months, and we've built a handful of what I think are pretty awesome tools, including we've launched Content Analytics. Content Analytics is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content marketing and SEO team. We provide really granular insights into where users are dropping off within your pages. And we've actually just launched a couple of new capabilities too. We've launched click mapping and click tracking to give you better insights into where your users are clicking and converting. And we've also launched a more general heat mapping view too, alongside our read maps. We'd love for you to check out our entire tool set at positional.com. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the Optimized Podcast. Thanks, Nate. I'm stoked to be here. I had a lot of fun chatting with you at Brighton SEO in San Diego. It was uh, such a great conference. Um, I learned a lot and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the beers that we had after the conference. And I'm excited to you know, talk about uh, a few of the things that we talked about there in San Diego. But the first question I asked to all of our guests is, how did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? Great question. Uh, it's always it's always a, a weird path for everyone, right? Coming out of college, I you know I knew I wanted to be in the world of marketing. Um, I think my perception of what marketing was at that point in time was was much more traditional, not as digital focused. I mean, I think I heard the the word the phrase SEO maybe one time in college in like one small chapter of a book. So I, I was applying to a lot of a lot of marketing agencies, probably 10, 15, 20 different agencies, was not having much luck. Uh, I eventually took a kind of like a cold calling job at an agency selling, you know, old school SEO audits like, hey, we'll we'll give you a free audit, you know, we'll, we'll set up a meeting and then all that would kind of go off to the sales team. And uh, I lasted about two weeks before I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I was lucky enough to to build some good rapport just in that short time with my manager who introed me to someone in their quote, optimization department where they actually had a pretty sizable SEO squad. And they kind of gave me a, like a small trial run to see, you know, if this is something I would be good at, if I, if I liked it. Um, so I was doing a, a little bit of SEO work, very, very simple stuff back then. You know, we're talking title tags and, and small keyword updates to content, but I, you know, I fell in love with it. 
and it worked out really well. I moved on to a few other agencies, started doing some consulting work and, and kind of the rest was history. And I just really fell in love with SEO and then eventually landed at, at ClickUp. Yeah, no one graduates from college and says like they want to get into SEO. <laughs> There's so many paths and so many ways to get into it. But, you know, I do want to ask, it looks from my view that things have really gone well since you moved out to San Diego and, and took over the reins at ClickUp. Um, you know, there's different keyword tracking tools. And at least from my view, it looks like traffic is maybe like six or seven X in that time. I imagine a lot of it is branded because, you know, ClickUp is a very well-known brand, but it looks like things are going really well. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's around 250,000, around 200,000 when I started. And then now we're over 2 million monthly visits. That's amazing. And in that time, uh, I know you've done a lot of great work and I actually do want to talk about title tags. <laughs> so we will get there in that outline uh, that I sent over. But I know that on LinkedIn, you've described ClickUp's SEO strategy as product-led. And so I have to ask, what is product-led SEO and what does that mean for ClickUp? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, I know you've had like Eli Schwartz on this podcast and, you know, his definition in his book of product led, you know, where you're actually creating a product for the searcher. In my definition, at least in the, in the context of, of that description, it's still much more on the content side of things, but really focusing on incorporating the product into all the content we make. Now, it's, it's not necessarily a groundbreaking strategy. You could think of some very basic examples, you know, positional rights and article on internal linking best practices. There's obviously a natural way for you to incorporate the product there. Uh, for us, you know, ClickUp does, you know, it's a project management software, but it does so many things. You know, we have docs and whiteboards and, and timelines and such a wide feature set that pretty much any topic that our ICPs would search for, even if it's a little bit outside of work management and project management, we can always find ways to tie it back to the product. You know, so if it's if it's related to goal setting, sure, we have a goals feature, but there's also, you know, three or four different ways that you could be tracking your goals using a product like ours. Maybe you're using a whiteboard. Maybe you're you're creating a, a list and incorporating a lot of different people from the team um, and, and really just finding a way to always bring you back to the flexibility of the product and the different ways that allows you to work and even just live your your day to day life. Yeah. And given ClickUp's product is so expansive in terms of the number of things that you can do with it and the number of tools within the platform, I imagine that it's not very hard to find new keyword ideas at any time like ClickUp adds a new feature or capability. I'm sure it unlocks like an entire new set of keywords that we could go after. And it always surprises me when I'm searching for things that I see ClickUp pretty high up in the SERPs uh, when I wouldn't expect ClickUp to be there necessarily. Uh, but to your point, like it might be serving a similar ICP. And so it would still be possibly like a valuable person to get out in front of. And so I do want to ask, because on this podcast, we always say like traffic doesn't equal dollars. And so besides organic search traffic, what are some of those other KPIs that you track and measure that would indicate that things are going well at ClickUp? Obviously, we care about conversions, right? So we're, we're looking at the signups associated with those visits. And I think a big piece of that is, okay, you know, how many visits is this content generating versus, you know, what it's costing us to create that content? You know, maybe it is very, very top of funnel and the conversion rates is on the lower side, but it's getting enough traffic where over time we know it's going to, you know, be a positive gain for us. Uh, but there's other things that we look at, you know, post conversion, you know, we also want to see like the quality of the conversions that we're getting, you know, are these coming from people that are, uh, you know, associated with businesses, or is it just an individual looking for their own personal productivity tool? You know, if we're, if we're seeing that certain content is bringing in a lot more 
you know, businesses and teams, you know, we're obviously going to put more emphasis on creating other content in that cluster or for that topic. Um, and we also look at retention, you know, are, are people staying in the platform when they've entered through this way, when they're using this feature as a starting point? Um, so we look at kind of those, uh, those post-conversion type things to indicate maybe what we prioritize, but we are still casting that very broad net and trying to reach as many people as possible that would find value in the product and use it on the day-to-day, especially if, you know, they'd be part of a team or a group where it's going to be more than just an individual using the product. I think a lot of times content marketing and SEO teams will stop at the free trial or the click to the book a demo, but it sounds like you're looking deeper into like the funnel to see like, what's the LTV by like page or type of content? What is like the retention by page or type of content? And so it sounds like at ClickUp, the SEO strategy, it it might be like a very cross-functional team or a cross-functional role. Would you say that's accurate between other parts of the team? It's accurate. Yeah, we, we definitely collaborate with, you know, product marketing and and other members of the team to understand what's working and what the focus is. Um, you know, we, we again, we use those metrics as a as a lever of, you know, understanding what to prioritize and maybe what to to put more time in. But we, we do still lean back on, you know, the, the, the traffic and conversion as like the primary driver. Like, it, like we have to achieve that first, no matter what. Right. So, yeah, there, there is a lot of cross-functional work that helps guide us a little bit. But, you know, we do fall into the, the traditional scope of like, let's get people in the door. And then, you know, product marketing and, and the product team and, and everything that happens post-conversion, you know, there's a lot of other folks that are, are focused in on those elements. But yeah, very, very cross-functional. Do you find yourself talking to the paid search team quite a bit? Is that a relationship or a conversation that exists at ClickUp? Yeah, you know, we we are within the same team as the paid search team. We use their data a lot, which is sometimes as good of research data as any because it's it's real. It's not coming from a third-party tool. Like we're seeing those actual raw impressions that may, you know, tell us certain keywords are searched a lot more than we expected. We don't work super close on like individual projects, but we're, we're always kind of using each other's data to uh, make better decisions. We, uh, we talked a lot about content creation there in San Diego. And when I looked at the site earlier this week, it, it seems like you're creating quite a bit of content at ClickUp. How much content are you guys creating? It's a good amount. It ranges. You know, if we look back at, at uh, 2023, there were certainly months where maybe we produced 20 or 30 articles. And then, you know, there's been times we've produced over 100. So uh, it's it certainly ranged and we've we've scaled that over time, especially when we find certain content formats that work really well. You know, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about best tool listicles and, and maybe templates and things like that. Like when we see success with a particular format, you know, and we, okay, we know this is bringing traffic. We know we can rank for it. We know it drives signups. Let's go deeper on that format. And it doesn't always have to be like a cluster, like, okay, let's, we're, we're focusing on marketing reporting. Let's go deep on that cluster. Sometimes it's just the format of how content is laid out. And like, if we find a winning way to structure around a certain group of topics, and then we kind of go horizontal versus vertical or vice versa. And, and that's when we kind of scale up a little bit and, and, and invest a lot more resources um, in the creation process. And I know that at ClickUp, there are many different types of pages and types of content. I've seen quite a few template pages on the ClickUp site. And at Positional, we have many different templates within our blog posts too. Like for example, we've got like an article about editorial calendars and I think you do too. And like both pages have a template included that a user can actually use. 
for certain template keywords, it feels like we could attack them with either like a landing or a product page, but we could also attack them with blog or content pages. From your experience, what types of pages work best for like templated keywords? It's kind of both. Um, it really, I, I, from what we've seen, like, like you said, we, there's a lot of template targets on, on our site and the, the longer tail, the query is the longer tail, the template is generally you can serve that intent pretty well with a landing page. Uh, the competition's a little bit lower and what they're looking for is very specific. So you can hone in on that much easier with the content itself. Whereas if the template query is broader, like let's say, you know, if you search for CRM templates, you know, I think you'll, you'll find click up toward the top or Gantt chart templates, um, where it's a much broader category where, you know, you kind of know the direction they're trying to go in, but you don't necessarily know what their specific use case is. So you need to provide them maybe a couple different template options and a lot more long form content to support that, which also then supports Google's need in that sense to have more relevance around it and more uh, more depth because it is a more competitive keyword, a more competitive category. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about this. I think ClickUp does a really good job at building topical authority or topical relevance within its different product spaces. So for example, like Gantt charts, you'll build out like an entire portfolio of content in the Gantt charts ecosystem. And I think you do a really good job of targeting the high in the funnel keywords, the middle of the funnel keywords, and then the down in the funnel keywords with uh, those pieces. Does all of that keyword research fall to you as the SEO lead at ClickUp? A very large percentage of it, yes. <laughs> um, you know, bottom of funnel keywords, things that are being driven from, you know, maybe new product features or announcements or, you know, finding certain maybe questions that customers are asking that we don't have the answers to. Some of that will, will definitely come externally from, you know, the upmarket team, from product marketing, from, from other areas of the org. Generally, anything that's SEO driven, SEO focused, like we're trying to bring in someone in the door for the first time, potentially through our long form content, like all of those topics are, are typically, you know, developed by us. I mean, we'll, we'll take suggestions, of course, just because we are trying to produce so much content that there's never too many topics to have. And the more that we have in our backlog and the more we can choose from the better we, the, be the better it is when we get to planning, uh, which we do pretty often. So yeah, it's mostly in our court, but we, we certainly take influence and suggestions from other parts of the company. In my career, I think the most content I've published in a month was about 70 pieces of content as we expanded into new product verticals at my first company. And we were constantly working off a backlog of keywords that we wanted to attack. I'm curious, how big is the, the keyword backlog? Right now, it's in the hundreds. Uh, you know, since we have produced a lot in the last year, we've, we've made a pretty good dent in it. As far as our team goes, we're always trying to put make sure every month that we're putting more topics in than are being produced so that the backlog's consistently growing. Uh, so I would say it, it's in the hundreds right now. And you know there are a lot that maybe we've archived over time or we've just kind of felt like, hey, clearly after a year of this sitting here, we just don't feel like there's enough value in it. So let's, we, you know, we do some auditing there, some cleanup, but there's a good batch to work off of at all times. And do you find that you're proactively planning for new products or is it more reactive from a keyword research standpoint? So say, for example, if you were going to launch like a new product, would you be like getting out in front of it from an SEO standpoint or would it be reactionary, like once the product's launched, then we'll actually go and build out the content portfolio around that that new product space. Proactive when we can be. 
you know, if I look back to maybe like a year or two, like two years ago or whenever, I forget when we launched whiteboards, it's been, it's been a little while now, you know, we knew, you know, the whiteboard feature was coming long before, you know, customers did. And, you know, we had like a basic mind map feature and some other elements, but, you know, like we looked at an article, like creating an article like Miro alternatives, for example, like we weren't really a true Miro alternative at the time because we hadn't had that whiteboard feature out. But, you know, let's create that content now. Let's speak to the, the the features that we do have that kind of overlap. And then when, you know, those features officially come out, let's let's update that content. Let's make it reflect what the product can now offer. So, yeah, anytime we can get ahead and get that content out there, get Google to crawl it and then start to try and rank it somewhere, we can always add to it after the fact. And I want to ask then alternatives pages. Um, how important are in alternatives or comparison pages to other different products you might compete against? They work, right? That's the reason why everybody does them. They certainly are a big part of our of our strategy. It's, it's very clear when looking at the pages that are driving traffic, like we do have a lot of those. And until they don't work, like we're going to continue going to keep doing them. Um, I know some sometimes the listicle software listicle like content can get uh, you know a little bit of a bad rap in the agent in, in, in the world, the, the SEO world a little bit. But if you, you know, generally look at any page that's in, in a listicle format, there's always going to be bias. There's always, you know, there, it's, it's very hard to find something that's truly, you know, truly authentic. And I think as long as you're, you're writing about the products accurately, you're not making up information. I think it's, you know, it's sometimes it's worth the risk of being able to put your, some of your competitors out there for the, the potential gains you get from being in that position of grasping the the commercial intent traffic that you know people are ready to buy i love alternatives pages i, I recommend to all of our customers to create them uh, a lot of the times they don't want to mention their competitors on their website but at least in my experience like very often people don't scroll very deep into these pages and so i always suggest to our customers to uh, to take a look at them because they tend to be like very high intent keywords very low competition uh, especially compared to like a best tools page, for example, they tend to be lower search volume, but often in my experience, keyword research tools will underestimate the actual search volume for, for keywords like this, because I think there are a large number of longer tail keywords um, that, that don't often get picked up. I do want to ask about like best of pages, uh, since I just mentioned it, how important are best of pages, for example, like best project management software or best tool for whiteboarding? I put them in the same grouping as alternatives. Um, I think if anything, you can be a little bit more confident in the intent because alternatives, you know, they could be using that product or maybe they're interested in that product and they're trying to find others. Like you're just, you're not a hundred percent sure that they're in the complete buying stage where, and, and there, yours never a hundred percent, but you know, when you're looking for a, a best tool in a certain category, I feel like there's a little bit more confidence where they are in their journey potentially. So I, you know, I, I, I value that kind of content very similarly to alternatives, more competition typically, um, unless it's a, unless it's a new emerging category or you're going very long tail, you know, so if it's, SEO tools versus SEO tools for internal linking or SEO tools for content creators. Like if you're going long tail, it'll get a little bit easier. And, you know, if you're a site with a little bit lower authority, that might be the best way to start. But I, I, I consider that that commercial intent traffic um, almost in, in some cases more valuable than alternatives. That makes total sense. And I agree with you. I, I do think those keywords tend to be quite a bit more valuable from a conversion standpoint. If there was one keyword where you could wake up tomorrow and rank number one for it for the rest of this year, which keyword would it be? Probably project management software, just because it's still like the, 
category that people search for the most um, that we serve as a product. It's a very volatile SERP. Um, it's, it changes every single month. So it, it is quite competitive. Um, we, we do very well with some of the longer tail variants around that, but we aren't ranking number one for project management software. So I would, I'd probably take that. We're about halfway into this episode of the Optimize podcast, and I just want to bring you a special note from one of our sponsors, that being Positional. If you're anything like me, you probably love internal linking, but you probably don't do enough of it. And it probably takes a ton of time to find missing internal links throughout your old pieces of content and then internally link the new pieces you create. And that's why we built internals. We'd love for you to check out our internal linking tool set at positional.com. And that was a word from our sponsors. Now back to this episode. Yeah, well, you're on the first page. That's a very hard keyword. And I see like a bunch of listicles ranking for this keyword. And I think a number of them actually like do mention ClickUp. From like an SEO standpoint, is it helpful to get like your brand mentioned onto some of the comparison or other listicle pages you're ranking against? Very helpful. Uh, we're, we're huge advocates of the of the surround sound approach. We actually invested a lot of time into this a couple of years ago and you know, trying to make sure that we're not only ranking for that keyword, but we're hopefully in the articles that are mentioned. And that has a lot of benefit from our stance. I mean, in, in one, it could just be, you know, referring visits, which you can track, right? You might get traffic from these other listicles, especially ones that are maybe outranking you. But also, you know, th there's other softer benefits of, well, maybe Google is now associating you more with that category, or maybe OpenAI, as they've crawled the web, are now associating you more with that category because you're in that content. And even just the people that are writing new listicles, where do, where do they often go to pick out those best tools? They go to the, the other listicles that are that are currently ranking and, and see what tools they're mentioning. So there's a lot of like benefits to that that aren't necessarily attributable to success, but you know we know that there's a lot of value in. I totally agree uh, with you. And I, I think Google's gotten very good at being able to detect like brand signals, whether people are searching for your brand directly or just seeing your brand across the internet. And, and like you mentioned, that also might be helpful in terms of ranking or performing in a tool like ChatGPT. Um, and I'm going off the script a little bit here, but like, should we be thinking about ranking in ChatGPT? And if so, is there anything that we can do? It's a, it's a really good question. It's it's definitely something that we're thinking about. Um, you know, how can we influence LLMs? I would say is is the broader question, and, and not in a in a hacky negative way, but in a, in a positive way. Like, how can we make sure that we are best positioned to be considered from these models? And I, I think a lot of it does come down to to brand mentions and, and being included in certain places and certain publications. You know, in, in some ways, similar to kind of how how link building is, where you know, if you are mentioned in these authoritative sources, like it adds a layer of validity to to your brand and, and what it's associated with. A lot of it ties back to what we would already consider best practices. It's definitely a question that I think SEOs need to be asking themselves, especially as we, you know, we have all of these concerns and fears with SGE and all these other things that might be going on, rather than just being like worried that it's going to take away your traffic, like think about you know, what you can do to continue um, to position your brand best in whatever engine of search that someone's using. Content creation, you're doing a lot of it. Does it make sense to hire a content agency to help you in actually creating this content? 
It depends on what stage you're at and how much content you're trying to produce. If you have a small team and some of those team members are, are writers or are capable of writing and you're looking to produce maybe just a couple articles a month and some of it's product driven, like you might be best keeping that in-house and, and getting by and kind of getting your feet wet uh, internally. As you are looking to scale beyond that, I think it's, it's definitely more cost effective to uh, bring in an agency. And if you're looking to scale, you know, beyond, like you're trying to get to, to 70 articles, like you mentioned earlier, that can get quite difficult and quite expensive to do uh, all internal. Freelancers are a way to kind of supplement that. And I think that it's always the best answer is always a blend. Um, you know, you want to have people in house that can help guide an agency or your your freelancers to make sure that they're speaking to the topic and how it relates to your product in, in the best way possible. And the people in-house are going to have the best perspective there. And also just to help maintain consistency with brand voice uh, and, and the, you know, the overall language that we, you want to use when speaking to your, your target customers. And it really depends on what stage you're at and what kind of content level you're trying to scale to. I wanted to ask you about that quality control. Because in my career, I found that when you go from, you know, 10 articles a month to 70 articles a month, in my case, or in your case, maybe 100 articles per month, what type of processes do we put in place to ensure that quality is maintained as we scale up the number of pieces of content we're th that we're creating? It's a great question. It, it'll always be a challenge. Some of the obvious factors are like you have really strong documentation that um, is guiding you know, whoever is working on this content with, you know, brand voice direction, formatting direction, like, like nailing at least the, the bare minimum consistency factors that you want to have from post to post. Beyond that, I think it's just having a really strong process in place, a really clear cut workflow where, you know, there are steps for review, there are steps for auditing, you're not just publishing content without you know, any oversights and that workflow has to be created and the workflow also has to be consistent. You know, even if you're working with, if you're working with a freelancer versus working with, for an agency versus working with an in-house writer, you know, the process with each of those, each of those groups of people that are developing content might be a little bit different, but the workflow that it has to go through to be published on your end needs to be the same. It needs to go through the same level of auditing. So I think that's a big piece of that. It'll always be a challenging thing when you're scaling content to keep consistency. There's there's really no way around that not being a challenge. So I think a strong workflow, strong documentation, um, those are those are really key pieces to that. So I just did a quick Google search and it looks like there are over 30,000 indexed URLs for the clickup.com site. And that's a lot of pages. It's a lot of content. How much time do you and the team spend going back to previously published pages and updating them? I don't, I don't know what the percentage would be on a monthly basis because it, it varies, but specifically for the SEO content, you know, we are always looking for ways to number one, defend our positions, which often means keeping content fresh, combat against maybe decay. You know, if we're seeing us starting to lose a position, we might need to go back into that content and, and rework it. Or, you know, sometimes it's the, the emergence of a new feature, right? So we talk about how we launched whiteboards way back when there's a lot of content that we had maybe around brainstorming or maybe around like planning where we could go back into those articles and now better incorporate the product because we have new features to support that. So sometimes it's defend, to defend positions, sometimes it's to combat decay, and then other times it's just to enhance the content because we have a new perspective to add or a new benefit to connect to the product itself. 
that must be a total pain in the butt to like go back and update those pieces to make sure they currently reflect like the current state of the ClickUp product because I'm sure the product is changing very regularly. I'm sure there are constant updates being pushed. And, and this is a problem even for us at Positional with like our, you know, 50 page blog. So at scale, I imagine that takes a lot of time just to ensure that like the product is being displayed properly across the site. Yeah. I think it always comes down to prioritization, right? What are the what are the pages that matter the most that are bringing in the most traffic that are bringing in a lot of signups? Um, you have to have some level of prioritization because you you can't hit everything uh, when you want it when you want to. You can't get to all of the content, especially in in a small time period. So um, I think that's where you know prioritizing and focusing on maybe your your top tier pages and then working your way down. Um, is is the, really the only way you can do that when you have such a massive library of content. I know we joked about title tags earlier in this episode, but how important are they? Are they impactful? Is that something you're testing or, or working on? Yeah, I mean, I think title tags are still important. We know there's still a big influence with with Google, with understanding what the page is about and, and still optimizing for keywords. Like there, there's still a lot of value in that. I think what it's kind of shifted a little bit more away from just focusing on the keywords being there and trying to focus more on like being a true hook or call to action or reason why someone would click on your result versus everybody else. You know, especially, you know, as we talk about people publishing AI content and, you know, everything being very, very saturated, people talking about the same things and you, you need a way to stand out. And hopefully you're doing that in the content itself. But the title tag is a great place to start, right? To add an angle that everybody else isn't already talking about, right? So if ever, if it's a definition of you know a- agile workflow, you know if is everybody in in the search result, talk, you know is there all their titles? What is agile workflow? And maybe your title is you know how can you improve your agile workflow? You're still targeting the the the, the primary keyword, but maybe the angle you're taking is maybe better for the customer you're trying to reach, but is also maybe something that stands out in comparison to everybody else. So I think finding a balance between being something that is uh, interesting for the user to click on that stands out ver- and also incorporating the keywords that you know still have that, that value that they've always had for SEO. I think finding that balance is important, uh, but they're, they're, they're definitely still uh, something we need to care about as, as SEOs. Yeah, I think they're quite important. Um, I, I remember back um, a few years ago, uh, we were trying to rank a page for a review keyword for like a financial services company. And we were struggling to, to get higher on the first page. Like we were on like the bottom of the first page, like the ninth spot. And we, we changed our title tag to like the secret you need to know about company and product. And as soon as we did that, it like shot up in the rankings from like the ninth spot to like the second spot. Everybody wanted to know like, what was that secret about Big Bank that we won't name? I don't know if that's what we should be doing, but I think your point about making your title tags engaging is a good one. In my career, I've always loved using numbers and dates. I feel like people love to click on numbers and dates. And so that's always something I'm keeping in mind with our title tags. Meta descriptions. Do you think meta descriptions are important or Google's just going to rewrite them anyways so we don't need to worry about them? Yeah, we've we've lost. We, we don't put much effort into our meta descriptions. They're often getting rewritten. I think you can rely on AI to to help write meta descriptions nowadays. 
And yeah, I mean, we, I think we still we still write them briefly when we put them in the article. I think the right we we task that with the writers specifically, but it's it's not something we we put a lot of weight behind or, or spend time trying to optimize. Uh, maybe maybe for like the the five most important pages here or there, like you know maybe we'll look at it just to see what it says and see if we can change it and influence it um, and, and and have that one actually be visible. But it's it's a very rare occurrence for us to to care much about meta descriptions. And I know you mentioned backlinks before. I saw on LinkedIn that you mentioned that the number of referring domains to the ClickUp site has increased pretty significantly since you took over. And I imagine a website or, or a company like ClickUp probably acquires a lot of links organically each day. At, at a company like ClickUp, do you even need to worry about building backlinks or do they just accumulate naturally? They definitely accumulate naturally. And our concern for backlinks are the value and the time we may spend uh, trying to build them has decreased over time as a result of that. You know, once you get to a certain level of authority, it really comes down to finding a way to, to make your content stand out, right? Like you're, you're in the game, you can compete with some of the bigger players. So find the way to close that gap with something that's uh, maybe it's the quality of the content or a format and over the way that you're trying to target it, you're, you're more likely to win there. And yeah, we don't spend uh, as much time investing in link building as maybe we would have two or three years ago. But there's still obviously a lot of value in backlinks. It's still a very important uh, SEO factor. And depending on what stage you're in as, as a company, um, that, that value is going to range. How important are internal links? Extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> They're one of the most important things, even though like the, the SEO community has learned to value them more over time. I still feel like they're undervalued, right? Like there's, there's still so much you can accomplish by um, being very diligent with your, your internal linking. Um, e you know, even though we know that and, and we invest a ton of time, I, I, even I know that there's things that we could be doing better. It's such an important factor, not just for Google crawling your content, but just for being able to associate certain pages for being able to provide visibility to new content in itself. Yeah, it's, it's extremely important. We had Ethan Smith from Graphite on the podcast, and he said that the optimal number of internal links to a page was seven. And that five was okay, but not as good as seven. Three wasn't very good. And if you had less than three, you were basically going to struggle to rank a page. Do you buy into that idea that you need like a certain number of internal links to a page or that's just overkill? I don't know if it's overkill. I I, I did listen to that podcast and I, I did think about, okay, he did, he did a study, he did some studies there. He, he came up with a number. Like, I'll, I'll think about that a little bit. I, I think for us, when we are, you know, adding internal links to, let's say new content, the amount of links we add will typically range based on the type of content, like the format, and as well as the uh, the value in that piece actually ranking. So like if it's an alternatives post, there's not a ton of places to internally link to that article. And generally, it doesn't need many internal links for that article to rank. Um, we've had we've published content with no internal links and have had it rank. And part of that is because Google's seeing us publish a lot of content. They're hitting our site very often. They're hitting the sitemap. We've found ways to, to rank without internal links. So it really ranges from, from my perspective based on the, the type of content itself. Is there a magic number? I, I don't know if there's necessarily a magic number, but it's a valuable insight. And I think people need to be thinking about, you know, the when they publish the content, the value of that content, the amount of internal link opportunities for it, and, and kind of make decisions on a on a case-by-case -case basis. This one is a little controversial. How important is anchor text or anchor text differentiation when it comes to internal linking? That's a good question. Uh, for us, we 
we do try to create some variation with anchor text. I, I recall a, a pretty good study that Cyrus Shepard put out a couple of years ago that showed some positive correlations with anchor text variation. And I remember reading that and thinking about it a little bit more and, and talking to our team about it. Um, so I, I think it's it's helpful, especially if that article, you know, can, you know, we, you know, we talk about articles that, you know, maybe serve a, a ton of variants, right? Maybe it's, it has a primary keyword, but you also might rank for a hundred or 500 or a thousand different variations of it or, you know, similar words. And I think especially in those cases, um, I, I don't have any data to support it, but I think that's a good place to consider having more variation in your anchor text because you you are trying to target a, a very wide range of types of intent with that specific topic. Um, I don't have any data to support that it, it works better than just keeping it being the exact same anchor, but you know we try to mix it up when it makes sense. I saw a pretty interesting use case for chat GPT the other day, and it was actually like, finding anchor text for internal links from like heavily in context sections within those pages and basically like taking what might be like a h2 or h3 or like a subsection of an article and then uh, generating internal link anchors based on those like more deep in the weeds topics or concepts within a piece instead of like internal linking on like a primary keyword and the site's doing quite well. So I thought it was quite interesting to see that approach, but we're actually having Cyrus Shepard on the podcast uh, here in a few weeks. So I'm definitely going to ask him about this as well. You and I were at the Brighton SEO conference together in San Diego, like I mentioned. And if you remember, Danny Sullivan commented that it would likely be another very volatile year for us SEOs and that we should expect more algorithm updates. There were a lot of algorithm updates in 2023. What do you make of all of the recent algorithm updates? Is there anything we should be doing differently? Uh, to be honest, we don't and I don't pay a lot of attention to algorithm updates, you know, especially, you know, we're talking about core updates, you know, at, at the end of the day, it all boils down to the same best practices, you know, creating quality content, creating content for the searcher, not for the search engine. I think when you're when you're following best practices, you can be much less concerned and you know not need to worry about being reactive necessarily. Uh, but I also think it depends on the type of updates that are happening. You know, for example, the the more recent hidden gems update, I think we're calling it, uh, where you know some things in search results have changed. You know, we're seeing more form results with Reddit and Quora appearing more often. Uh, I think when when there are updates that kind of impact how you know, the, the search results are, are being presented. I think those are things to maybe pay a little bit more attention to versus algorithm updates that are just continuing to crack down on quality. So I, I think it depends on the context of what you what we're referring to as an update. Uh, but as far as, you know, just the, oh, the volatility is high right now uh, with with uh, with rankings with with certain sites like we're not uh, we're not really tracking that or being too concerned about that unless, you know, maybe we unless we saw ourselves tank, then we might want to take a step back and try to understand why. I'll even say maybe like a year and a half ago, or we had, we, there was a core update uh, back in, I think, 2022, where we, we did see our site take a little bit of a dive. And, you know, it was, there was no, uh, nothing we really, we could draw from it, from the content that maybe had went down. Um, and then a week and a half later, everything went back up. It was just kind of Google figuring things out and kind of rolling that out and and kind of re-leveling. And there was actually nothing to really do. And if we would have overreacted or tried to change a bunch of bunch of things, it would have been it would have been unnecessary. So um, I think it's it really depends on the context of the the update itself. 
Well, Jeremy, this has been so much fun and I appreciate you uh, bearing with me as I've wavered from the outline. If it's okay with you, I've got like a few rapid fire questions I'd love to ask you. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Let's do it. Core web vitals, do they matter? They matter more for user experience than for SEO. You want your site to be fast. You want users to have a good experience. Speaking of user experience, is UX and UI important when it comes to ranking well? I don't have data to support that it does. Uh, it, it might. I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know about that one. What's the first thing you check in the morning in terms of SEO? First thing I check in the morning in terms of SEO. Ooh, um, I guess I might be looking at week over week traffic for key pages. Maybe not every morning, but a lot of mornings. Has the cost of content gotten more expensive over the last couple of years? I think the cost of creating something that's truly differentiated from what everybody else has already written about, that is increasing significantly. I would say the cost of just overall content is, is probably a slight increase. We talked a little bit about SGE. Is SEO finally dead? SEO is not dead. It's, it's just going to continue to change as it always has. But I, I do think SGE is, is coming. It just might not be what we anticipate. It might be a form of it, but we'll see. Well, Jeremy, this has been so much fun. Uh, you've built at least one backlink today. We will link over to the ClickUp site in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Thanks, Nate. I really enjoyed it. This week's episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. You probably know by now that my name is Nate, and I'm one of the co-founders of Positional. And we've built what I think is a pretty awesome tool set for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a few features you'd expect, like tools for keyword research and keyword tracking, but we've also got a few tools that you've maybe never seen before. For example, internals for internal linking and content analytics, which is kind of like a heat mapping tool, but for a content team. It helps give you insight into where in your pages you might want to come back and improve. We've got about eight tools and we'd love for you to check them all out at positional.com. Thank you.